Welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary Podcast. We're continuing our series titled Presence. Throughout this series, we're learning to become aware of the divine in our midst. Today, Pastor Alex Kipp shares an insightful message about devotion from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. So my first question, though, for you is when you hear the word devotion, what comes to mind? Shout it out. Shout some things out. Come on. When you hear the word devotion, what? Heart of praise. praise. What else? Loyalty. Loyalty. Grace. Grace. What else? Commitment. Commitment. Good. What else? Willingness. Willingness. Just so you know, I'm going to interact with you a lot. That's kind of my style. So don't be shy, all right? It's okay. You're going to be okay, John. I promise, all right? Anything else? Anything else? Family? Faith. Faith. Good. Anything else? What was that? Continuation. I like it. Okay, now, who here has made some New Year's goals? Anyone? Yeah? You want to you feel brave and shout a couple of them out? Try new things. Try new things. Lose weight. Get back to the gym. That's a good one. That's a classic right there. Who else? Connecting the neighbors. Connecting the neighbors. Good. Yeah? What is that? Clean out the garage. I just did that last week. What did you say? Get rid of all your junk. Good. Bring it to the homeless resource fair. We'll take it. Helping the homeless. homeless. Good. Okay. So the point is, is we're all devoted to something, right? Whether we realize it or not, we're all devoted to something. And New Year's goals, right? Did you know that scientifically research shows that by January 17th, which is this coming Thursday, most of us are going to completely abandon our New Year's goals. Completely, right? A lot of times I think New Year's goals sometimes look like this. Getting super excited, you know. (laughs) Right, you're super excited. Sorry, Mom. Or maybe, you know, maybe the goal is just a little too big for you. You know what I mean? Or maybe you just got a little too excited, right? Or maybe you know that this is some healthy goal you're supposed to do, but you just don't want anything to do with it, right? When I think of goals sometimes, honestly, a lot of times I think of obligation, right? I think of, oh, it's another thing I got to add to my list. It's another thing I have to do. And the reality is, is sometimes I set goals to devote myself to to distract myself from the only thing that really lasts, which is God, our relationship with God, right? Because the truth is, in reality, unfortunately, nothing lasts, right? We can be devoted to that work thing, that promotion that's going to bring finally that peace of mind, more money, right? We can be devoted to our kids. All of a sudden, they grow up and they leave the house, We can be devoted to a relationship. Maybe that person dies. Maybe that person we break up with. Who knows? We all devote ourselves a lot of times to things that are temporary, to things that don't last. But I think there's another way to think about devotion. And in this series, we're talking about God's presence. And I think there's a big clue in the story that Graciela read earlier. Okay? So we're going to read it again. Now, every year, his parents, his parents being Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. 
And when he was 12 years old, Jesus, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Uh Uh-oh. Assuming he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Well, then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, which means they were actually kind of mad, right? (laughs) And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So in this series, we're talking about God's presence. We're talking about the presence of God. And last week, Jason made us aware that God is always available. God is always fully present in our lives, in our community, and in our world. The question is, are we aware? Are we aware? Because the truth is, a lot of times, we actually look like Mary and Joseph, right? It's actually very easy to become unaware of where Jesus is, right? Oh, let's go back to that first slide here, one sec. So Jesus is 12 years old. They're in the temple. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind, but his parents did not know it. Now other versions say, but his parents were unaware. Now the thing you have to understand about the festival of the Passover is that this was like the thing back then, in that time period, that all the Jewish males had to go to. There were three big events. This was one of them. Tabernacles and Pentecost was the other. So this was kind of like our Christmas, right? Where there's all this social and cultural obligation where you feel like, I've got to go to this thing, even if I don't really want to go to. Some people are like that, right? They show up one day out of the year for church, you know what I mean? It's a big obligation. And for them, this was a huge obligation. This would have taken them five days to travel from where they were all the way to Jerusalem. They would have traveled in a big caravan full of their relatives and friends, because back then it was dangerous. If you didn't travel with a bunch of people, all of a sudden you could get pickpocketed, people could steal your stuff. Have you ever been packed in a car with a bunch of your relatives going somewhere for a really long time? Yeah? Sometimes it's kind of stressful, right? So it's easy to get caught up in this anxiety, this stress, this, um, you know, you always got to be doing something and getting there at the right time. And all of a sudden, you're completely unaware of why you're even there in the first place, right? It's easy to lose Jesus. 
isn't it? Get caught up in our work. We get caught up in all the things that we're supposed to be doing. I'm telling you, the day after Christmas for me was a day that I actually, I feel like, experienced God. Right? It's when the family had kind of left. Right? My wife didn't have to cook five million different dishes with, me, with little help from me, probably. You know what I mean? That was when I finally got to experience Jesus. And we're a lot like this. It's easy to lose Jesus, but there's a better way. There is a better way. And Jesus shows it right here in this passage. And it's through devotion. So through devotion, you encounter a deeper awareness of God's presence. So it's not that God's presence wasn't there, right? Because a lot of people can experience God's presence without being devoted to it. Is that right? But devotion brings you into a deeper awareness of what God's trying to do in your life, the community, and the world. And we see that in three major ways in this passage. And the first is Jesus' devotion to God. So what does it say? It says that he was in the temple, right, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents start giving him crap, why were you gone? What were you doing? Right? What does he say? He says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why are you searching for me? Right? Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be here? Other versions say, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And when we look at the Greek word there, it really describes Jesus as being compelled by this. Like, he was so driven. Like, have you ever done a project where, like, you just lose all sense of time? You forget to eat for a couple of days. You know what I mean? You're like, where, where am I? I don't even know. I'm just so devoted to this thing. Has anybody ever experienced that? Say yes, if so. Yeah? That's what Jesus was like, right? At 12 years old, he was experiencing this kind of thing. Now, there's a danger to this text, right? Because so often the classical way of thinking about this text is that Jesus was some kind of super freak, human 12-year-old, right? He was going around like whiz-bang, right? Mic drop, mic drop, mic drop everywhere he went, right? People were like, whoa, Jesus, day, right? That's not really how the text describes it, though, right? What does it say? It says that he was sitting, right? Where is that? That he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, so the common style back then, right, if we were back then in those days, we'd all just be sitting around, right? The rabbi would be up here, there'd be a couple rabbis, and they would ask you questions. And then they would expect you to answer. That'd be kind of anxious, right? That'd make you a little nervous. You don't even want to respond to some of my questions, right? That's all it was like back then. They'd just be chilling, you know? Hey, what do you think about this? Right? Jesus wasn't there to, like, take over the scene and be like, I am the Son of God. Listen to me as a 12-year-old, right? No. In fact, Luke knew this. In fact, this version, this, only, this story about Jesus' infancy only shows up in Luke. It doesn't show up in any of the other Gospels. Why? Well, Luke, he was the third Gospel to come out, right before John, right? The very end of the first century. Luke was writing to a Greco-Roman audience, okay? 
unlike Matthew, who was more writing to a very Jewish audience, or unlike John, who was writing to a very Gnostic audience. Luke was writing to the Greco-Romans. And the Greco-Romans were pagans, mainly. So they worshipped who? Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, in their mind, was God. They had statues of Caesar Augustus. They had temples of Caesar Augustus. And this was a common motif of that day, to have stories about people who were around 12 years old doing amazing things. So there were stories about Caesar Augustus who did all these amazing things back then, right? To put into people's mind that Caesar Augustus is the son of God, right? Caesar Augustus is God. And Luke's saying, no, 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 he's not. But he's similar to Caesar Augustus. So when he's writing this, the readers would have been like, oh, that sounds like Caesar Augustus a little bit. Oh, but he's a little different, right? And what makes him different is that he's not this whiz-bang, right, mic-dropping kind of guy, right? He was human and divine. And sometimes when we get caught up in that supernatural, freakish boy Jesus, we actually lose sight of our obligation to be devoted, right? We sort of think, oh, well, that's, that's Jesus, right? I mean, I couldn't be that, like couldn't be that devoted. That's Jesus, you know? No. What does it say at the very end of this passage? What does it say? It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So the increase word, the Greek word for that is axiom, which means he is growing. He grew, right? This is the human element of Jesus that we all connect to. That through devotion, you grow in wisdom, in favor, divine and human favor, right? We can't miss that part because that's where the growth and the change come. Now, the dangerous thing about that is it's going to take a little commitment right? All of a sudden, remember how I said obligations can feel like commitment? Well, if we want to experience God, right, we have to commit. Remember last week when Jason was talking about Moses and the burning bush, curiosity? Jason said that the first step towards experiencing God's presence is curiosity, right? So Moses' burning bush is happening, and he's really curious, right? But what did he do next? He committed, right? He committed to that next step, and then God's like, you got to go talk to the Pharaoh. And he's like, what, me? No, I can't even talk. Plus, I'm my brother. And he's like, no, 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 it's going to be you. He's like, oh, okay, fine. What did he do? He committed, right? But there's a danger to commitment too, right? All of a sudden, it might just be a goal, another goal. Another thing that you're committed to, to get something from God. Right? I remember when I was about 12 years old, I really thought I knew what devotion was. I really thought I knew what commitment was. I was this, you know, good old Midwestern kid who loved baseball and loved Jesus. Right? It's a classic thing for a Midwesterner in Ohio. I remember in 12th grade, I was in right field, you know, star baseball player getting ready for that ball. All of a sudden, crack! 
balls flying up in the air, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got this, baby, I got this. All of a sudden, time just kind of slowed down. I didn't know why. It's kind of slowing down. I felt kind of weird. I'm going for the fly ball. The shortstop's coming in from behind, which I didn't know, and all of a sudden, we smash together. <sighs> time comes rushing back in. I look down on my leg, and it's out like this, like an L. Yeah. I'd snap my femur. My femur, the biggest bone in your body, right? And I'll never forget, I was involved in this very evangelical, very charismatic church. You know, very like, you're going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus, which really sucked for me because my best friends were Hindu and Muslim and Jewish. But anyways, he came up to me and he says, I'm in a full-blown cast, right? I can't go, to, can't go to basketball camp that year. I can't go to baseball camp that year. My life is over as a 12-year-old, right? And he comes up to me and he says, well, now you can be more committed and devoted to Jesus, right? I was like, no. And that actually was a day that I walked away from Christianity for a long time. See, I'm getting emotional about it because uh, that's sometimes how we think about God, right? That's all about getting something from God. Because you know what I really didn't understand and what he really didn't understand either was God's devotion for me. Right? And that's number two. That's the second element of devotion. God's devotion for us. And you know what? Jesus shows it in this passage too, because a lot of times this is the hardest thing to understand. In fact, Mary and Joseph didn't even understand it. The parents of the Son of God. He says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. You see, it's easy to, to find the first classical way of looking at this passage, right? 12-year-old boy, he's devoted to God. Be devoted to God just like Jesus, right? The problem with that is, is that a lot of times if we don't understand God's devotion to us, we'll never get there. So what is interesting about what Jesus says here? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? No one at that time used father in that way the greek word for that it shows this this sense of intimacy this sense of knowingness right he uses it as a metaphor that god the father right loves him so much is so intimately connected to him like a parent that's why mary and joseph they could not understand what he was talking about that was not in their consciousness at the time to think of God in that way. That God would do anything for you. That God loves you no matter what. Whether or not you're devoted to Him. Because again, devotion can become a goal. But God's devotion is an unearned gift. God's devotion is an unearned gift towards us. That's grace. But awareness of that gift is a learned skill. God's devotion is an unearned gift, but awareness of that gift is 
a learned skill. And unless we tap into that, this sense that God is not only devoted to us, even when we aren't devoted to God, and that if we devote ourselves to God in that same way, right, it's this sort of co-creative give and take, receiving, giving, then all of a sudden we tap into the deepest part of devotion, which I think sometimes we miss. And this is number three, devotion to others. This is really what it's leading us to, right? Becoming people who are so devoted to God, who know that God is so devoted to us, that our natural instinct is to devote ourselves to others. Now, there was a beautiful thing that happened just yesterday. Homeless Resource Fair. A lot of you were there. A lot of you poured your time and your love into this. I'm getting emotional because I see Vanessa crying over there because I know how much she put into it, right? This is the work of Christ. This is the product of devotion. Does that make sense? Giving, being with others. Because devotion as a goal will never work. Devoting yourselves to things that aren't eternal will always fade. There will be moments when you're going to feel like God isn't devoted to you. When I broke my femur, God, how could he do this to me? God's not devoted to me. When I lost my singing voice to cancer, God, how could you do this to me? You're not devoted to me. And now look where I am. Look where we are. Right? God is devoted to you. God is devoted to us. And by keeping those three things in mind, we will see a whole different reality in the streets of Oceanside and in our world. And if you forget about God's devotion to you, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus as this 12-year-old boy who had this commitment and this intimacy and this fire for God all the way to his bloody death on a cross. From death to resurrection, God and Jesus has been devoted to you to your suffering, to your hope, to your emptiness, to your fulfillment. God is with you. God is devoted to you. So now the question is, are you aware? And if you're aware, what do you want to become devoted to? Now, it's not for me to tell you what that is, right? So often, right, we think we have this very concrete, you know, pastoral guide to devotion. Here you go, seven days a week, open up your Bible, turn to chapter one, read to chapter two. It's not how it works. God's calling all of us in very different ways, right? Who's God putting in your path? Who's God showing you that needs a little more love and attention? Maybe you're struggling with devoting yourself to God. Maybe it is time for more meditation. It is time for more time in the Word. Maybe you're struggling with just receiving God's devotion to you. Maybe it's about slowing down and just stopping. Or maybe you're being called to devote yourself to others. I don't know what that is. 
But I would love for you to think about it a little more before next week. I'm hoping maybe you could come back with some stories of how this really impacted you, how this really changed the way you think about devotion. Because in the end, through devotion, we discover a deeper awareness, a deeper awareness of God's presence in our lives, in our community, and in our worlds. So, shall we pray for that to happen? Let's do it. So, loving God, uh, we just are enraptured by your devotion for us first. Even as a 12-year-old boy, you were obsessed with knowing God, with growing into God, becoming our salvation. So, God, we need your help. We need your help to put aside the distractions and the noise. We need your help, Lord, to come in and show us plainly, clearly, what it is you would have us devote ourselves to. How we could change this community and this world and grow more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.